Hi, everybody, and welcome to the Wellness Plus Podcast. Today's episode is brought to you by the Psyche Truth Yoga Plus app. This is the yoga app for all of your yoga needs, whether you're a beginner, whether you're an advanced yogi, whatever you need. This app's got it. hundreds of videos that target yin yoga, power yoga, ashtanga yoga, all the different kinds of yoga that you need this thing's got. So make sure you go check it out. Uh, today's show is also brought to you by the new Serene Team by Psyche Truth. Uh, Psyche Truth's new Serene Team is a website completely dedicated to helping you de-stress, relax, and get away just from all the craziness of life. So they've got hundreds of videos and different tools on their website to help you do exactly that. So you can check them out at serene.team. On the show today is Dr. Wally Taylor of Texas Integrative Medicine. Dr. Taylor specializes in environmental toxicants that play a major role in causing a wide range of complex illnesses. So it was really interesting to get him talk about basically all this scary stuff that you might be surrounded by every day and you don't even know it. And really, it was, it was pretty scary stuff, but it was really interesting and really important for a lot of people to better understand what's going on with different molds and all kinds of environmental factors. So it was really, really cool. So make sure... Um, Go check him out after you listen to it, because I think you'll want to. It was a really interesting podcast. Uh, and one more thing before we get this thing going, uh, please, if you can, go and leave us a review. Leave us a review. Let us know how we're doing. How'd you like the episode? How do you like the podcast? It really helps us out. All right, guys, enjoy the show. I'm Dr. Tanisha Wards. I'm your guest host at the Wellness Plus podcast today. And joining me is Dr. Wally Taylor of Texas Integrative. He's a physician there who specializes in environmentally acquired illness. Hi, Dr. Taylor. Thank you for Hi, coming Tanisha. on. It's I a ple pleasure to be here. I'm so grateful that you decided to come because I think what you do, a lot of people need to hear about. But will you start by just explaining to us what that means, environmentally acquired illness? Like, sure. what is that? Sure. So it's actually a subset of holistic or natural medicine where we focus especially on the toxins in the environment as being root causes of chronic complex illness. And chronic complex illness is a group of symptoms. At the top is chronic fatigue brain fog, variety of aches and pains, digestive disorders, immune system disorders, hormone disorders. People used to call it mystery illness. Yes. But it's not really, <laughs> I don't consider it a mystery anymore because I have a pretty good uh, idea of, of what's going on there. But it turns out it's a whole host of en environmental toxins, everything from biologic toxins like viruses and Lyme and parasites, but also chemical toxins, toxic metals, electromagnetic frequency toxins, and it's very important that we include in that group toxic life experiences Ooh. or so-called stressful events. Or traumas. Or Exactly. Absolutely. I've found that anytime a patient's dealing with something really severe, you ask them, when did that start and what was happening in your life right before? And oftentimes something was stressful, a trauma, a divorce, financial stress, parent, spouse passing, whatever. So I think that's really overlooked in our, our medical model today, the Western medicine model. I agree. I agree. So that's, that's really important. You know, for me, 
when uh, when I first started going in this direction, it was really out of frustration. I was practicing as an ear, nose, and, and throat medicine surgeon. And I was seeing people with chronic ear, nose, and throat disease that had been persisting. And my the tools in my toolbox just really weren't getting the job done. And, and I always like to take a very thorough history. I think it's the most important thing we can do with our patients to understand their problems. Yes. And I would get about a 50-50 split when we ask exactly that question, when did you really start feeling bad? About half the time, it was some sort of obvious environmental exposure. Perhaps they had moved into a moldy environment, or perhaps they had started drinking water from a new well that might have been tainted with oh, pesticide wow. residues. Something that was obvious of a toxic exposure. But the other half, it was a toxic life event. Maybe they learned that their baby had, had leukemia, mm. or maybe they learned that their significant other had been unfaithful, mm. or maybe that their business was going to have to file bankruptcy. It was all kinds of toxic it. life events yeah. that were immediately associated with this whole gamut of symptoms of what I describe as chronic complex illness. Let's let's talk a little bit about the mold. That's That's why I really wanted you to come on this podcast, because I think... I think people don't realize that that can be a huge issue, and I'm and I want to learn from you more about it, even because I'm seeing it in my practice be an issue. And I know you've really done dove deep into how do you get it, what the heck do you do when you find it, how, how do you even find it. So let let's kind of start there with with that because I think I think here in Central Texas that's a bigger problem than people realize with the humidity, and even going further east into Texas. But it's really all over the country. I know places like Seattle are dealing with it a lot, like very wet sure. climates. So, yeah, tell us, what, when a patient comes in and they're going through their history, what for you would say, hey, this could be a mold and what do you call it exactly? Is it a mold-driven illness or mold well, we, toxicity? We talk, we talk about mycotoxin illness or, okay. or mold toxin illness uh, because, you know, mold can be problematic three ways. It can, can cause you an infection. People can die of mold infection, especially immunosuppressed patients. Yes. You can get a mold encephalitis or a mold septicemia. It can be deadly. Or you can get a mold allergy. Mm. This are, these are the patients that have runny nose, sneezy, itchy, watery eyes, even when it's a moldy day outside. Absolutely. We often, see it every day here. Yeah, often res resulting from histamine release in the body. So antihistamines can be effective. But then what I'm dealing more than that is these mold toxins. But it turns out that particularly indoor molds, quite a few species like Stachyboitris is one of the worst, the so-called black mold, mm. uh, Penicillium, Aspergillus, uh, even Candida. These are different species of yeast or fungus or molds that actually give off these very lethal toxins like ochratoxin and aflatoxin, trichothecene toxins. But these are of some of the most deadly lethal chemicals known in the universe, these mycotoxins. So when somebody's living in an environment where these toxins are, how do they know? What do they, how do they find that out? Well, there's a lot of different ways you can find out. Uh, one of the more specific ways that I do a lot in my practice is you can actually measure for the presence of these mycotoxins in body specimens, particularly urine. Mm -hmm. uh, it's, we call it the uro urine mycotoxin test. There's a couple of labs here in the United States that do that. And uh, I like to do it following a glutathione 
challenge, which helps promote the toxins to exit through the kidneys so that they're available then in the urine to be measured. But the one I like to do use is chromatography, so it will measure mycotoxins in parts per billion. But for, for me, that's one of the most definitive ways. And we're mostly talking now about mold toxins that get into our system through ins inspiration in the air mm -hmm. that we're breathing. So these are primarily mold toxins that come from species of indoor molds. Okay. And one thing that's very interesting, there's, there's some data to support that today, especially due to EMF exposure, because of all the Wi-Fi and all the wireless devices that we have in our environments, these affect adversely the molds. Why don't you tell us what EMF is? Because not everybody listening may know that, sure. that acronym. It stands for electromagnetic frequency. And basically, your, your, your laptop computers that are wireless, your cell phones, uh, so many of your devices. now Your, tel talking, your televisions now are wireless, right? Yeah, and they're like talking about everything. the internet of everything. Right. So the so-called Bluetooth. <clears throat> but we have Wi-Fi devices in our home that communicate with these devices wirelessly so we don't have to plug them in. But it turns out that those frequencies and even electricity from the wall, sometimes what we call dirty electricity, mm -hmm. spikes and what they call spikes and transients, uh, these will often affect adversely biological systems like our cells, our mitochondria, but also the molds. Molds are biological mm. systems, and they feel threatened by the exposure to electromagnetic. And what, how does a mold respond if it's under threat? It makes more mycotoxins. It's fighting. It's, it's trying fighting. To, it's trying to make, build an army. It's doing the only thing it knows to fight back in its environment. Primarily, those, my, those mycotoxins were evolved to fight against other molds and bacteria that might be competing with that mold for its food source. Now, people may have this in their house and have no idea. Like, they don't have to have had a major water leak or they don't have to have had, you know, water damage or flooding, right? Like, this can just be in our environment the way the home was built or things that have been brought into the home, right? Yeah, you know, it's almost always associated with some water intrusion event okay. or dampness. It can't even be just excessive relative humidity. Right. that can allow the mold to grow. It's especially true, as you mentioned, in places of high humidity, like down here in coastal Texas, Louisiana. You know, when they had that, uh, that oh. all those storms they and rains. They just had it again. Yeah, they're yeah. just getting ready to have it again in Louisiana yeah. oh. and New Orleans again. And, you know, this is going to create tons and tons of overgrowth of indoor mold on any kind of a food stuff, whether it be sheetrock or cardboard or even wood, uh, carpeting, pads, you name it, and it's going to establish these things. So they, they need moisture to start growing, but they don't have to be continuing to be wet to still give off a lot of mold toxins. So mm. a lot of people think, oh, there's nothing wet here, mm. uh, so there's no possibility of mold. Well, no, if it was wet before, here's the amazing thing. It only has to be wet for 48 hours un uninterrupted wow. to establish the growth of these indoor molds. And then from then on, they are able to give off these spores. Spores are like mold seeds or mold mm -hmm. eggs, if you will. But it turns out that they're very uh, resistant to drying, and then they array themselves on the outside with these mycotoxins as a preventative. And when we inspire them, then those mycotoxins get released into our, into our system. Some of them get absorbed into our blood and lymphatics. Others are swallowed and can wreak all kinds of havoc in the GI tract. So you kind of went through some of the symptoms. What 
could you list out for us the symptoms of having this exposure and allergy or intolerance or being affected by it? Because I'm sure some people can live in it and have more of more effects and more symptoms and others might be stronger in their immune system and their inner terrain and their, you know, constitution of their body and they may not have the issues. But what are some of the symptoms you see if people are in this environment and it's affecting them? Sure. Well, first thing I would want to say is that the symptoms of mycotoxin illness greatly overlap the symptoms of other environmentally acquired illness. Which is why it's tricky. Exactly. So it could be pesticides, it could be heavy metals, it could be a virus, it could be Lyme disease. Many of the symptoms are the same. Or it could be combinations. Exactly. Right? We, it we usually see moss. is. Yeah. yeah. In most cases, around. it is a combination of environmental toxins. It just happens in my practice here in Austin, Texas, mold is number one mm. as far as the lethality of it and the commonality of it. But uh, as mm. far as the symptoms of mold toxins per se, I would say number one is fatigue. Okay. Number one is chronic Big un one. unremitting fatigue. Big one that Western medicine often is like, yeah, sorry, you have chronic fatigue. Yeah, you're just under too much stress. Go home and rest. Yeah. And, and people are like, I'm laying in bed all day. Right. What do you mean go home and rest? How do I fix this? But, but if you don't remove these environmental toxins, yeah. So, okay, so fatigue, that's a big one. Right, chronic fatigue, which ultimately goes back to a problem with the mitochondria that we might get into a little bit. But chronic fatigue. Then there's a whole host of neuropsychiatric symptoms. Mm. I like to just sum it up by calling it brain fog, okay. which I realize it's not a medical term. The actual term is delirium. But brain fog is a whole host of symptoms. Number one is probably uh, memory loss, especially okay. short-term, new memories. Okay. Secondly, cognitive problems, difficulty solving problems, mm. sometimes word finding problems. Uh, but these are the kind of things that people complain about. Some people just say a loss of mental clarity, a loss of focus and attention. So that's the second most common. We see a lot of mood disorder symptoms within this group of patients, anxiety, depression, bipolar even, sometimes even schizophrenia. Oh, wow. uh, we see um, a lot of uh, aches and pains would be probably the next. Okay. Lots of headaches. Some people have true migraines, but many people just have other atypical types of headaches, sometimes other forms of pain, neuralgias, facial neuralgias, peripheral neuralgias. Uh, and lots of joint and muscle pains, so-called fibromyalgia. Yeah, I was or, just going to say, this sounds a lot like the list of fibromyalgia symptoms, which exactly. is why it's a, a mimicker, why it's so... Yeah. I mean, again, and we can get off on a tangent there, but I absolutely think there's a reason and a cause for fibromyalgia, right? There's, In my world, chronic yeah. fatigue, fibromyalgia is an environmentally acquired group of illnesses. There's a reason. There's something causing aggravating the immune system. Exactly. I agree with that. Exactly. So, and then there's others. The, the immune system is often adversely affected. So you can see symptoms of immune deficiency, people that get sick with infection and can't clear it, mm -hmm. people that, that are more likely to be sickened by infectious diseases, particularly viruses and such, uh, but also just sometimes uh, other atypical immune reactions such as allergies mm. uh, or even what we call mast cell activation that we might get into a little bit. Yeah, tell us about that. That could be a new term for a lot of people. Sure. So uh, the mast cells, M-A-S-T, it's a cell of our immune system that typically is not a circulating cell. It's typically fixed to tissue. Uh, they're very similar to the basophils, which, mm -hmm. are, which do uh, circulate in our bloodstream. But mast cells are full of a whole host of mediators, many of them what we call inflammatory mediators. The key one that people know about is histamine. Mm. 
Yep. But there's others like leukotrienes and uh, prostaglandins and, and what we call cytokines or lymphokines, mm -hmm. uh, any number of others. But these mast cells are there for a reason. They actually play a big role in surveillance for toxic or noxious substances in our body, and they're programmed to respond. So they kind of like are early directors of the immune response to toxic, toxic exposures like mold and germs, et cetera. But the mast cells often become unstable or atypically reactive, I would say. Some people call it uh, the, the mast cell activation syndrome. Yep, I've definitely. Or a mast cell activation disorder. So can you test for that? Uh, you can. Uh, the problem with the testing for mast cells is that it's fairly unreliable, fairly expensive. There are some circulating markers like histamine and mm -hmm. tryptase and so forth. The problem is, is a lot of these markers that we could test for are very uh, unstable. And so unless you're uh, set up to do rapid freezing of the blood mm. and then send it dry on dry ice frozen, sometimes the testing is a little unreliable. There are a lot of, uh, especially in research centers, where they do do a lot of mast cell testing. But honestly, you can, you can go a lot by symptoms. And you might say, well, what sort of symptoms of mast cell? The mast cell activation symptoms do overlap these other symptoms of chronic illness, of course. <laughs> right. But certainly the symptoms related to histamine release, uh -huh. like flushing and itching and wheezing and coughing, even anaphylaxis, mm -hmm. these, are, these are often symptoms related to mast cell activation. We'd like to briefly interrupt this interview to remind you that this podcast was made possible by listeners just like you. Become a supporter at patreon.com slash psychetruth, where you can watch the video version of this episode and all our podcast episodes. Plus, you'll gain access to over 500 videos of exclusive content, including premium courses and behind-the-scenes peaks. Help us keep this information free by visiting patreon.com slash psychetruth. That's patreon.com slash p-s-y-c-h-e-t-r-u-t-h. Got it. Okay. So, so you've tested somebody for mold. What would you do with their environment next? If they, if the, so if the person's urine test came back and they had high levels of mold coming out of, through their urine, and, and actually let's take a step back. You said you would do a glutathione challenge. Can you tell us what glutathione is and and what that means to do a glutathione challenge. Sure, I'm happy to talk about glutathione. <laughs> we could have talked about glutathione the whole time. Yeah, I'm a big fan of glutathione too, <laughs> yeah. but I realize it's a big word that people might be like, gluta yeah. what, gluta who, what it's does a, that mean? It's a little <laughs> molecule, a lot of people haven't heard of it. It's, it's three amino acids hooked together, three specific amino acids. The most, uh, the, the, the business end of it is, is an amino acid called cysteine. It has an atom of sulfur in it. And then it has a glycine and a glutamate on either side of that. So it's three amino acids hooked together. We, we primarily make it in the body. Mm -hmm. You know, glutathione is really not in our food, at least not as glutathione. We eat the amino acids when we eat protein, but we make the glutathione internally. 
So what does glutathione even do? Well, it, it serves a lot of important purposes in the body, but one thing is it dramatically supports immune activity. Mm -hmm. Second of all, it's probably one of the most important detox nutrients of our body. Works kind of in conjunction, especially with the liver. In fact, most of our glutathione is actually made in the liver. So it's an antioxidant. It's also yeah. an antioxidant. Mm -hmm. Yes, one of its roles as a detox nutrient is because it's able to neutralize or eliminate free radicals or oxidants. Yep, the stuff exactly. we don't want in the body. And so you would hook somebody up to an IV and give them glutathione and then take the test. And you, you'd get a more accurate positive because you flushed. Exactly. Got it. Yeah, glutathione will pull toxins mm -hmm. out. Not just mold toxins, but chemical toxins and even heavy metals like mercury, lead, arsenic. Uh, I don't typically in my practice do an IV glutathione provocation. Oh, okay. uh, I usually just have them take oral, okay. usually typical liposomal glutathione for a period of a few days prior to them submitting the urine sample for the mold toxins. So why the liposomal form? Great question. <laughs> so th I told you that, lipos that glutathione is mostly just made in the body. It's not uh -huh. really eaten. But if you're deficient, then you've got to get glutathione in because you need additional. Mm -hmm. And liposomal is just a trick to help the body absorb glutathione that's taken orally. It's fat soluble, right? Liposomal. Exactly. Yeah, liposomes basically just mean you create these little bubbles of fats, phospholipids, like phosphatidylcholine, and the glutathione solution is in the middle of that bubble. And these are microscopic, of course, mm -hmm. but they can just be absorbed directly through, even through the mouth or through the stomach lining, and so they do help us get higher levels of glutathione. So. So I, I understand why you would take glutathione for the test because it will purge things. What, what other benefits would somebody have to take glutathione? And would glutathione be a treatment with somebody with a high mold level? Is it also, you know, kind of a diagnostic tool, but also a treatment? Is that something That's you might exactly do? That's exactly right. Yeah. Usually we'll have people start off with glutathione at a little bit higher doses for the purposes of the provocation for our testing, but then most normally, I tell them that they're gonna continue glutathione. Glutathione's gonna be their friend. Pretty much any <laughs> environmentally acquired illness, I can guarantee you that I think pretty much the whole world today, in I today's agree. world, is deficient in glutathione. I agree, I think, well, even if you're not deficient in it, I feel like we're taking in more toxins than we can handle which I guess essentially would make us deficient in it, but we just need to kick you all use that it stuff up. out. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's used up in the yeah. course of clearing toxins, and that's the big thing. We can make glutathione, even the best of us, at only a certain rate. Mm -hmm. And if we have all the building blocks and all the, all the nourishment tools that we need to do that, but right. still, since it's used up, if we can have too many toxins to where even the best of us can't, can't keep up. Do you think you could take too much glutathione? I don't. Yeah, I mean, it would just cause a purge, right? Like you might have a little loose stool. I don't know. You know, I haven't, I haven't honestly, uh, other than people that just don't like the taste of it, yeah. or maybe they get too much of the phospholipids. Um, you know, you can theoretically get too much protein, especially, you know, people that say have bad livers because there's a big uh, um, ammonia load associated mm. with that. We've, we've not seen that. Yeah. Typically, glutathione isn't the cheapest of supplements. True. That's and so true. a lot of times it comes up against the, the cost. Yeah. They're not going to the, drink a whole bottle of it. Exactly. It's going to limit. It's going to be limited because of the cost of glutathione, which also I should mention, N-acetylcysteine. NAC mm -hmm. or NAC, mm -hmm. 
This is a key building block for glutathione. For glutathione. Mm -hmm. It doesn't necessarily guarantee people that take large volumes of NAC are going to make glutathione, but I can tell you if you're deficient in cysteine, you're not going to make enough glutathione. So would you recommend, and this could be a total case-by-case -case situation, taking the, glut the glutathione building blocks over taking glutathione or, or both? Or just most, of the time, most of the time I'll tell them both. Yeah. And there is even some evidence to suggest that NAC or NAC or N-acetylcysteine has detox capabilities independent of being in, as, in the form of glutathione. Okay. So yeah. then there's benefits to take that yeah. too. And phase two detox of the three phases of detox, which we probably won't get into today, uh, the, the, the process of putting a cysteine moiety on a toxin is one of the ways, or an acetyl group, uh -huh. is one of the ways that we clear some of these toxins from the body. So someone comes to you and they find out they have this illness and you start doing some detoxing and you're clearing it out of their body, but then they go back into the home that has the mold or the, you know, the mycotoxins or the fungus, they're just running in circles and spending a lot of money and time on testing and things. So what do they do about their environment? Yeah. So, you know, you asked me what, what's one of the most definitive ways to find out about mold, and it's clearly to measure these urinary mycotoxins. But uh, assuming that we, dis we discover or we determine that a patient has an excessive burden of mycotoxins, the first order of business in my practice is to make sure we're, we're getting close as we can to zero ongoing exposure. Yes. So that's exactly the, the question you raise. So that usually means we have to assess their environments, whether it's their home environment, particularly the bedroom, mm -hmm. or whether it's their school environment or their office work environment or their car drive to work environment. You know, when they had those mm -hmm. floods in Houston, do you remember all those cars that got flooded? Oh, yeah, and people spend Lots an hour to an hour and a half in their car sometimes, yeah. especially in Houston. Yeah. I, I've lived there for four years. Yeah, you can be in your car two hours a day, yeah. easy. Remember I told you, 48 hours of moisture yeah. in a car, and you've got a moldy car Yeah. with mold toxins, okay? So we have to try to come as close as we can to zeroing out ongoing exposure. And not just mold, but all of the toxins. Sure. It just happens that mold is one of the most important ones. So how do we do that? Well, I honestly think that's where the probably one of the first things we should do is probably bring in the services of professional. Yes. You know, they call them IEPs, indoor environmental professionals, or mold inspectors, or environmental mm -hmm. inspectors. But I think this is critical because there's a whole process to evaluating a facility, an indoor environment, for not only mold, but other potential indoor toxins as well. Bacteria, mold fragments, which are a little different than the mold toxins, uh, EMFs, mm -hmm. chemicals, what we call volatile organic chemicals or VOCs. Uh, so yeah, I, I like to bring in the environmental uh, professionals at a fairly early stage. And of course, first thing they do is a real thorough visual inspection, mm -hmm. looking for visible mold. Right. Because if you've got visible mold, you've got to get rid of visible mold. Yeah. And sometimes it's immediately visible. It might be right there on the wall. Oh, wow. It might be right under the kitchen cabinet. Or it may be not so visible. It may be under a carpet in a carpet pad. Or it may even be behind sheetrock in a wall cavity. So how or, do you find that? Well, that's what, an, that's what yeah, a mold that's inspector... Yeah, that's why you that's need what, them. That's why you pay the mold inspector. Yeah. They're trained to do that. And then uh, 
But then also beyond that, they test for moisture. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they have tools that can often look, look through behind surfaces. And then they can do some testing, testing for indoor molds. Like with the discs. Exactly. You can just do an auger plate. You can yep. do an air trap test. You can even sample dust yeah. for the presence of spores or for the, the presence of mold toxins. You can measure the environment for mold toxins much the same way as you measure the urine. For the mold toxins. So just being totally candid and why I think you were perfect to come talk about this topic is I came to see you as a patient a couple years ago, well, I guess almost exactly a year ago, because I was feeling bad for really no good reason. Now I might have a history of Lyme, I've had Epstein-Barr virus, but all of that I felt was long taken care of, it, you know, not feeling bad at all. We had just moved into a new house and you said, oh, well, it could be mold. And I'm like, no, we paid the extra amount of money with the inspector here in Austin to get our house inspected for mold, right? Like you pay for the inspection and then you can add on a mold inspection. I was like, surely that's not it. But you convinced me to take one of those discs home and we did have some mold spores in our master bedroom and our attic. Not, I also did two in our downstairs in our living area. No issues. And I'd only been in the house a couple months. Like it wasn't long and I just had fatigue, but it was a different kind of fatigue that I had with Lyme. And people who are sick that are listening to this understand that. Like there's a Lyme fatigue, but then there's also, no, this is, this is different. And sure enough, some things came up and the company was great. And I did some remediation that they recommended, retested, and it was gone. And I don't feel bad. But isn't that amazing that I, we, we added on an extra mold, you know, inspection and there was still some hidden mold that only you could pick up in the air. And I don't know if that was just a visible inspection they did when the inspector came out. This is before we moved into the house, obviously. Or did they look, you know, with that sonar thing that they could see through the walls? And I don't know what exactly they did, but they didn't catch it because it wasn't visible. So people could be living in homes and be sick and think, well, I don't know. I didn't have a water damage issue. I don't have staining on my walls. I don't have black mold growing under my sink we're fine and and they st- it it may not be sure yeah i found yeah. that out firsthand yeah and and even within the realm of professional inspectors there are different grades you know it kind of depends so on the training experience so talk to us about that yeah. how do you how do you find what do you do well in texas there's a certification process okay. texas is one of the better states as far as regulation they they have to show a certain amount of training they have to pass an exam they have to show a certain amount of hours on the job so Texas is a better state, but still a lot of it does depend on the person's uh, experience mm-hmm. and, and interest levels. Uh, you know, some mold inspectors, many of them that have had direct exposure to themselves or a family member who's been mm-hmm. ill uh, as, a, as a result of exposure, has a little different attitude that somebody that's just going to come in, maybe representing the builder or, mm-hmm. the, or, the, uh, or the landlord, is basically going to sure. come in and do a real quick check for, for obvious visible mold and call it good say everything's fine, not to worry. I've heard of people, this is just kind of going off subject, but I've heard of people in apartment complexes that moved into an apartment complex and then the mold started bleeding through, like the the complex just painted over it yeah. and tried to hide it, right? But then this, it, can, this can happen. It comes through and, yeah. and then they've moved in and they've realized since they moved in, we put this together in the thorough history. Yeah, I've had a headache. When did it start? What happened? It happened right after I moved in. 
sure. three weeks a month after yeah. I moved Apartment in. Apartment dwellers, you know, often are having trouble, not only because of mold. Often these are, you know, multi-story units. So mm. if anybody anywhere in the building above you had a leak, it might it might affect your unit. HVAC, we haven't really talked about heating, ventilation, and cooling, but it turns out that the HVAC systems are notorious to be sources of mold growth, usually because there's humidity associated with that yeah. process from um, condensation. So you need to get those clean every so often. Yeah, you need to get properly. the coils checked and cleaned, the ducting. Uh, you know, my little granddaughter, uh, my older granddaughter, uh, they moved into an apartment, and she really had never had any problems. Started having symptoms mm. of asthma, uh, symptoms of tonsillitis. Oh, no. Uh, ultimately had to have her tonsils and adenoids removed. I didn't do it, but a colleague did. <laughs> Which is what, something we don't do that much anymore. Right. But then, but then lo and behold, right there in the uh, duct system, uh, my son took one of the registers down, went in with a Scott towel, black, visible mold oh, lining the no. ducts. Yeah. Wow. So they were able to move out of that that rental, and fortunately, she recovered, did fine from her surgery. No more wheezing, no more cough, no more symptoms of Fascinating. asthma. Yeah. Do you find that if people just remove themselves from the environment, can they get well that way, or does it depend on how how their immune system's functioning, how long they've been in the environment, other factors, or or do they have to do some sort of detoxing or treatment, or what have you found with that? That's a great question. And we talk to our patients about taking a mold holiday. This is a quick but, huh. but often very effective little technique that our patients can use to kind of find out about an environment. Because what we found is sometimes with just a few days of avoidance from a moldy environment, mm. they will begin to feel dramatically better. So These go to the desert. Exactly. <laughs> or the beach. Or the beach, yeah. yeah. And if you can go someplace where there's not electromagnetic, yeah. no cell towers, no high voltage power lines. Where is that anymore? That much the better. Oh, yeah. Padre Island, you know. Okay. I grew up on the beach. Oh, so nice. there's still some places down there. Uh, you know, you can go to the Tropical big, big Bend. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, Big there's, Bend, yeah. There's places in the Caribbean yeah. that are very good for that. Yeah. Uh, so there, there's places you can go. Yeah. You know, a lot of people will go like on a Caribbean vacation, stay on the beach, come back. Oh, I feel marvelous. I just, it was just because I had no stress. Right. Well, sure, that is a factor. I don't, I don't dispute that that's a factor of mm -hmm. getting away from your toxic life experiences of your daily life. But oftentimes, it's also the fact that you're in a cleaner environment. That's a great point. And so... Mold it, holiday. So if that happens and they feel better, then come back, you need to start doing further investigation. Exactly. In your environment. Exactly. This is interesting. So, you know, there's, there's some quick wins. One of them is most of these are airborne, mm -hmm. so you can do, use good air purifiers. I, I got the one that yeah. was recommended yeah. by the company you sure, recommended. Sure, it made a difference for you. Yeah, I think you, so. You ask about too much better. glutathione, which you can't do. Yeah. How much air filtration can you do? You can't do too much air filtration. Yeah. Uh, a lot of these are not that good, so some of the more uh, inexpensive, what we call HEPA, high-efficiency particulate arrester filters, like you might get at, say, Home Depot or Lowe's. Uh -huh. Maybe not necessarily that good, but still better than nothing at removing some of these spores and things. But there are some better ones, like Austin Air That's is a very, very good name. Air Oasis, which is actually more than just a filter. It also includes what I call a zapper. Ooh, which what's is a, a zapper? A, a catalytic converter, which actually uses ultraviolet light and a special form of... Uh, of a catalyst to actually 
degrade these various toxins all the way down to CO2 and water. That's amazing. Yeah, so you wow. get a double effect there. So you mentioned mold is one of the main toxins or stressors or, or you know, environmental stresses on our body and that we need to definitely look, look for that, remove it. But what other things do we really need to look at to just heal these so-called mystery illnesses, right, of fatigue and joint pain and brain fog that a lot of people just aren't getting help for? What, what other factors do you really like to look at and dig down and rule out? Sure. Well, you know, the mold toxins falls within the group of what I call biological toxins. Okay. Th these are things that are living but are not you. So it would be viruses, bacteria, even bacteria that might be tick or flea or vector-borne, such as Borrelia, the Lyme germ. Mm -hmm. uh, it could be parasites, could be other uh, yeast or molds, you know, mm -hmm. even the ones that can cause infection. Uh, there's also chemicals. You know, unfortunately, we have managed to pollute our world environment now with almost 90,000 man-made chemicals. Wow. That list was about 60,000 back in the 70s, and now it's already up to almost 90,000. And we literally put millions of tons of some of these chemicals in the world on an annual basis. A good example of that is the chemical glyphosate. Mm -hmm. Some people know it as Roundup. Mm -hmm. But they even spray that on crops for drying as a drying agent to try to reduce mold growth in the in the silos. Wow. But we you know I, I've yet to when I test people for the presence of toxic chemicals, one of the t one of the chemicals I test for is glyphosate. I've yet to get a zero glyphosate level. Now, how do you test for that? Is that blood? That's another urine test. That's another urine typically. test. It's part of mm -hmm. that same urine test or a different it's one? It's a different it's, it's by a, a similar it's the same company that's my favorite mold toxin test company, Great Plains Labs. Oh yeah, yep. But it's a different test. So, here's something and I may get ridiculed for saying this. That not too long ago, I saw something come out that said not one wine that comes out of Napa Valley, that whole area, is free of Roundup, even if they're claiming to be organic because of cross-contamination of crops. And, there's, and the reason why, and we have family up there, is the reason why wine grows so well and grapes grow so well is there's an underwater aquifer, very similar to Austin has an aquifer system underneath. And so... When they spray Roundup, it goes into the earth, it goes into the water, it goes to the next vineyard. So even the people that are growing organic grapes are getting Roundup in their crops every year. Yeah. I mean, that wrap your mind I, around that. I How? don't really dispute wow. that. I mean, I, wow. I know that's probably not popular with the California wine people. Yeah, that's what I said. <laughs> Somebody may not be happy hearing that, yeah. but probably we're drinking, people that drink wine are drinking yeah. it. I mean, not one has come out without Roundup, that's that's yeah. frightening. Yeah, well, so it's everywhere. It's everywhere, yeah. And it's only just one of the many chemicals that we know are there. In fact, they've already done studies, not necessarily urine studies, they've even done some blood and tissue studies, mm. uh, even on newborns, testing umbilical cord blood. Oh. And Tanisha, they already know that brand new babies on the first day of life have over 200 toxic chemicals. Wow. Because they're in the mom. Wow. Yeah. It's very, wow. it's very unfortunate, which kind of, if, if you wanted to get me started about my main, <laughs> my main passion, it's, it's healing the environment. Yeah. As important as it is to heal each one of us from right. these different chronic mystery illnesses or chronic complex illness, we're going to have a heck of a hard time healing us, keeping us healthy if we have a progressively unhealthy world. Right. Remove, yeah. If the soil is contaminated, right, the plant's not going to grow. And exactly. I think that we have thoroughly 
made Mother Earth mad at this point. Like yeah. everything we've put in her and yeah. on her. And yeah, and then we have to sit and live in it. So I mean, the statistics, the statistics would just blow you away. I'm actually writing a book on, on detox. And we, we are going to have a big section in there about what's going on in the environment. But whether you look at things like air quality degradation, look at those pictures from Beijing, China, oh, yeah. of when they can't even see across the street from the air quality. Uh, w- look at the water coming out of the Yangtze River in, in, in China. Uh, look at some of the ocean water. Did you know that in the North Pacific, north of Hawaii, there's an area the size of the state of Connecticut of floating plastic. Yes, I saw that picture. That is heartbreaking. Yeah, there is an estimate that by the year 2050, there will be more pieces of plastic in the ocean, visible plastic, than there are fish in the sea. Okay? Wow. So what happens to By that? year what? 2050. That's one of the estimates I've seen. Wow. I mean, I'll probably still be alive then. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, my daughter yeah. will. Well, for sure your kids will. Yeah. For my... sure my two beautiful granddaughters will. Yeah. They'll just be getting life started. Yeah, exactly. Oh, my God. The podcast you are listening to was brought to you by wellnessplus.tv, a subscription service empowering you with everything you need to take control of your health and happiness. Sign up for your free trial today to watch the video version of this episode and all our podcast episodes. Plus, you'll gain access to our extensive library, including hundreds of follow-along yoga and fitness courses, massage therapy tutorials, weight loss information, guided meditations, educational health videos, and so much more. Feel better, look better, and live better today by visiting wellnessplus.tv. So somebody might say, you know, what, what's the harm in a plastic bottle in the ocean? You know, what's that going to do? Well, it, it has all kinds of ill effects. One of the main things is that they do break down from the effects of the sun and surf into what we call microplastic. Mm. So microplastic is in, at times nano-sized pieces of plastic mm-hmm. that get ingested by every sea creature. And then we're eating those. And then we're eating those. And then what happens to that microplastic? Well, it causes its own set of problems, but eventually it does degrade to the elemental chemicals mm-hmm. like BPA and so forth. You know, many of these toxic chemicals that can cause cancer and all kinds of other cellular injury. Yeah, and we're just, we can be ingesting yeah. it. The animals are, inge- are getting it. I'm a big fan of, and this is a little off topic too, of like buying shoes and purses and things that are made out of recycled Love plastic. It. Love like it. I have multiple shoes that are tires. And I, I grew up in Michigan there and they're go. made in Detroit. So that's kind of cool. Yeah. But they're made out of tires versus throwing it into Retreads. the ocean. Or, yeah. So I, I love that, but there's only so many companies doing that and so many, you know, things you can buy like that. So we got to do better. Yeah. Well, so that's my real true passion is cleaning up the world so that we can keep all of us healthy. I love it. But I have a new site called Vibrant Nourish Life uh, or www.vnl.life. And in that, that's our mission is really how to learn how to keep the world clean. So for me, Earth Day is every day. Oh, I can't wait. Every day is Earth Day. I can't wait to check it out. Yeah, and so we we know that we have to keep the earth clean. Air has to be clean. Water has to be clean. Our food has to be clean if we're going to even hope to be able to avoid these illnesses. So there's there's biological toxins. There's chemical toxins. We didn't even talk really yet about heavy metals. Yeah. You know, the toxic elements 
mercury, lead, arsenic, cadmium, aluminum. There's a set number, about 30. And some of those things we willingly put into our body, like mercury fillings. Exactly. I mean, I didn't because I knew better, but a lot of people just don't know any different. Like the dentist says, you need a filling. This is what we do. But there's a lot of dentists out there not doing that. Oh, yeah. I say the trend now, especially in the United States, is definitely yeah. to get away from those. But a lot of people are walking around knowingly having this in their body is is heavy yeah. metal toxics. Because even the babies now, unfortunately, again, they're born with toxic elements. Yes. Because oh. many of them are carried across in, in the intrauterine yeah. life. So do you think the metal from fillings can get through the mother's bloodstream placental cord and, and get into the child? Sure, but yeah. it's not just in the tooth. I mean, you know, sure. yeah, that's where it comes from, but it's throughout the mother's body. Yeah. Body has an amazing way of trying to sequester toxins. Mm -hmm. You know, if it can't clear them through detox pathways, it's going to try to move them into a part of the body where it will, they'll cause the least problem, like fat cells and bone cells. And 90% and of our lead is in our bones. Oh, interesting. And I also think that's a reason why we have cysts and fibroids and, you know, other things. I think that the body's... Lipomas. Brilliant. Yeah, lipomas. It's encapsulating it, trying to keep it out of the blood flow. Absolutely. And the body's brilliant, right? It's doing the best it's ca it can, trying yeah. to keep this out of our everyday tissue fluids. Absolutely. And, but then now we have all these cysts and fibroids and tumors and, you yeah. know, <laughs> lipomas and things like that. So... Fascinating. So that's biological toxins, environmental, or what we call POPs, persistent organic pollutants, toxic elements, and we talked earlier about electromagnetic frequency. Yeah. Other physical toxins. You know, these are these are the biggies. And then, the, as I mentioned earlier, toxic life experiences. So let's talk more about those. Yeah. What do you see in your practice, and what do they cause? Yeah. Well, first of all, let me just say, because I want to make sure that we at least touch on this, that all of these toxins and toxic life experiences, one of the main mechanisms of the symptoms of illness is because they trigger in our brain, our subconscious brain, what I call our threat response center of our brain. They, they trigger a threat response. Whether it's physical or emotional or biochemical. Exactly. We don't know if it's a tiger or a bear coming at us. Or, or, or pesticide. Right. We or just, mercury. We just re our body just does or what it's supposed toxins. to do. Or mold toxins. Exactly. It just reacts. Or even, uh, again, like, like a, a toxic life experience, a, a bad relationship, a toxic boss, a toxic teacher. Yeah. You know, will trigger this threat response. People know it by fight or flight. That's a sympathetic response. There's also another one called the freeze response, which is dorsal vagal parasympathetic response. But both of those are actually old evolved uh, responses to the threat mm -hmm. that were designed to protect us at one point in our evolution to protect us. But in today's world, they tend to be less uh, beneficial and more problematic. But what we've learned is that in order to get the body to resolve chronic complex illness, you have to help the brain move from this threat response into a place of what I call calmness and tranquility. Some people call that the ventral vagal or the parasympathetic rest, digest, regenerate, and repair response. But I think the, the, the brain wants to stay in that place. And these toxic triggers of one sort or another push it away from there. Right. And so we've learned all kinds of ways to try to help the brain migrate back. What are, what are some things people can do 
just on their own to try to migrate back? Sure. Uh, most of these, a lot of these are common sense. Prayer, meditation, mm -hmm. yoga, some people chant, uh, going to the park, uh, just slow deep breaths, uh, saying positive affirmations, doing things for others, practicing mm -hmm. gratitude, gratitude yeah. being outside yourself, doing things for others outside yourself, taking away that focus on, the, on you. So you say it's common sense. However, in stressful times of, in my life, that's the last thing I remember to do, right? When we're in that fight or flight, it's like, okay, I'm not breathing deeply. I'm not exercising. I'm not getting out in nature. I'm not having fun because you're in this fight or flight. So you say it's common sense, but I think it's such a good reminder that that is what's going to help heal us. That's what's exactly. pulling us back into that place where the body can regenerate, right? Because it, it can't when it's on the defense and it's trying to fight off everything else so much. Sure. So good, no, it, good point. We, we can't hear that enough, I feel good like. Point. I feel like we should tell our patients that every day. And, and we just... We get busy and then look yeah. at their next, you know, lab results. But I think people can be reminded of that every day. And this might be a little controversial, but I also feel like that our higher power, our universal creator, you know, has is not vengeful, has no desire for us to suffer or be sick. And that, that the universe wants us to be joyful and full and vibrant. And what's really making us sick is this, this toxic environment we've developed and, you know, the lack of nourishment. Uh, I, I struggle to tell my patients that they deserve to be well. I agree. That they do not deserve to be ill and sick yeah. and, and, and not functional, fully functional, not fully joyful. But for a lot of people, it's difficult. And I think for a lot of people, it's hard to believe that, whether that is from some past trauma or some other life event that they don't feel worthy or they believe or they, they at the very, their core level, they don't resonate with they can be well. Sometimes they even get comfortable yeah. in their place of illness. Yeah. They begin to, to identify do. with that. Yeah. I'm the they almost kid. have fear for not being ill. I, right. I know that seems a little difficult. No, I totally agree. People, people are known as the sick one in the family or the sick kid. And that is your, like you said, they take on that identity. But I, I love the way you, you explain that our higher source, our higher power wants us to fully express life and be well. I agree with that too. We're not, we're not born into this to be sick. It, I think you're right. It's absolutely our environment today. Yeah. So that's our role. Heal the planet, teach people that they deserve to be well, and just learn some of the tools to do that. That's beautiful. I love it. So what other ways have you learned to help people get out of that stress response if they're stuck in it? Sure. Well, we talked about many of those active ways like prayer, yoga, uh -huh. meditation. I'm super excited about a way that we call a passive way, but it's called microcurrent neurofeedback. And it's actually something that we've been offering recently in our practice. It actually applies a microcurrent directly to the scalp, which actually uses a microscopic amount of current to actually unlock the brain from the threat response allowing it to migrate back into that place of calmness and tranquility. Wow. How do you do that? Do you do they just sit there and do yeah. it? And and somebody's using a machine to do yeah. it? Okay. It's a little device that uses electrodes. It is FDA approved as a relaxation device. Okay. It's not approved as a medical treatment device, at least not at this point, okay. although there are already some validating studies in a group of military veterans with PTSD oh, wow. dramatically responded, and there's a bigger ongoing veteran-funded study now of it 
and they're also studying the same device. I use one, the manufacturer's IASIS, I-A-S-I-S, microcurrent neurofeedback. And it's not the only one, there's others like it. But you typically have to experience a series of sessions. Okay. Each session lasts about 30, 45 minutes. It's painless, extremely safe. It's been performed on tens of thousands of people now with no significant complications. Can even be done on pregnant mothers and oh, babies. Wow. Yeah, and babies. That um, says a lot because if there's anything <laughs> new, right, they say don't do it on pregnant mothers and, and babies. So that's that definitely proves that it's pretty safe. Does it feel relaxing or are they just laying there or sitting there? The majority of people don't feel anything okay. with the session while it's ongoing from the microcurrent itself. A very few people feel a little bit mildly spacey, almost like they took a shot of uh, alcohol. Okay. Uh, but some, if you overstimulate, some people might feel wired, tired, spacey, even nauseated. We try to avoid that. So you need I'll, to know what you're doing with this Yes. Machine. I mean, our, the therapists that, that are trained to do this are, are highly trained and certified. But uh, I would say that a lot of patients, about 80%, depending on the symptoms of chronic illness that they come in with, will report after one to three sessions significant mm. symptom relief. And you might say, well, what sort of relief are you talking about? They'll appreciate a dramatic reduction of anxiety patients that are highly anxious, which is many of these people. They might notice uh, more mental clarity. We talked about brain fog. They'll often report that sleep is much improved. Some of them will even notice dramatic improvement in pain. I was over in Houston for a training with the developer of the system on Wednesday, and we saw a lady that was taking very high doses of gabapentin mm. for chronic body-wide pain and headaches. And right in the middle of the session, I mean a 15-minute session, she began to just tear. Mm. And we asked her, what's going on? And she said, she said, I just have never experienced this amount of pain relief. She wow. said, if I knew that this could be sustained for me, it would change my life. And, of course, we told her that, you know, one session, yeah, it's, it's great that you're appreciating decreased pain, but you would need a series of these sessions for that to be sustained. And, and it can sustain Absolutely. many, how many typically sessions until somebody's... It's, it's variable depending yeah. on the in individual, but it tends to be anywhere from 3 to 25. Wow. With the majority experiencing it somewhere in the 10 to 15 range. 12 treatments tends to be kind of the, the, the number that you might say, do 12 sessions, see how you feel. Okay. Now, some patients still want maintenance sessions. Mm -hmm. Maybe they want to come in once a month or once every six weeks or every eight weeks. And is it something if something stressful happens in their life, they might need to come in for a couple exactly. more times? Exactly. I kind of feel like if you have somebody that's been a great responder and they're, they're fine, basically they're uh -huh. free of mystery illness, and then they get in front of a toxin or a toxic life event, it can always throw them back into that threat response where the symptoms are generated. Yeah. So then, yeah, you've got to go back and, and uh, experience it again. Which I think in the world we're living in, it's not if, it's when <laughs> they're going to go back into an, a, exactly. a stressful life event. Yeah. So Unfortunately, that is right. an amazing tool. I can't wait to come try it. Yeah, I, I wish you would. Uh, it's, I will. It's, it's I changing will. my life. I've been practicing in this way now. Uh, well, I've been practicing medicine for just about 45 years, and about half of that's been as a natural 
environmental wow. doctor. And I would say, you know, I've added lots and lots of tools over the years, glutathione, you know, vitamin C, you name it. We've Ox- oxygen therapy, exactly. ozone. I mean, you, you have all the cool toys. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've certainly, I've certainly been willing to experiment with various tools <laughs> to try to help people. But I have not been as excited about really? anything else that I've ever brought into my, my, my toolkit. Well, that's a bold statement. I think that's yeah, definitely worth yeah, trying. It's, so it's seriously, well, thank you so much for coming. And I know your practice is busy, your schedule is busy for spending time and teaching us about these toxins and mycotoxins and this new new tool. If somebody wanted to find you, can you give us information to find you, your practice as well as your new environmental site again? Sure, absolutely. So my practice is Texas Integrative Medicine in Austin, Texas texasintegrative.com and I I am still taking new patients in my practice in Austin. We can see uh, people in person in Austin uh, from wherever they might come. Texas residents we can also see in telemedicine Mm -hmm. even for an initial appointment. Uh, And in my new endeavor, Vibrant Nourished Life, we can interact with people in in what we call wellness consultations. So it has to be uh, understood that it's not a medical uh, practice. I'm not trying to diagnose or treat any, any, any actual illness, but we can just talk to them about factors that might affect their 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 wellness and their health overall and for that I can do that online usually through video conferencing for from anywhere in the world basically that's amazing even Australia Europe you you name it so that's my new site vibrant nourished life or vnl.life l-i-f-e not vnl.com okay vnl.life great well thank you again so much this was such great information and I I know it'll help people figure out what's going on with them. Well, that'd be awesome. And (laughs) thanks for for including me in your podcast. Absolutely. And thank you so much for watching the Wellness Plus podcast. We'll see you next time. All right. Thanks, everybody. I hope you guys enjoyed the show. Uh, One more time, please, if you can, go ahead and leave us a review on wherever you're listening to this podcast just so we can see how we're doing. And it really helps us a lot. So thank you again for tuning in and we will see you next time. The Wellness Plus Podcast. Copyright 2018. Target Public Media, LLC. All rights reserved.